How are we doing today? Good. How many Aggies do we have in the house or at home? All right. How many from Prairie View? Okay, got some. Hey, Prairie View, you did better than Michigan State against Ohio State yesterday. And, uh, you know, those mean Aggies. But, you know, a few weeks ago, Texas A&M played this little school called Alabama. You remember that game? If you're an Aggie, you probably don't. Probably already forgot it. Uh, but I, I know Wes, who's a big Aggie fan, he was out in his backyard with some friends watching the game and it just went back and forth and back and forth. And, you know, it just looked so many times like A&M was gonna pull their usual stunt and lose the big game somehow, you know. Five minutes left, guys wide open in the end zone, you know, and even the, the A&M defense kind of went like, what, how did, how did they do that, you know? Just threw a wide open pass. But A&M comes back and throws a long pass, gets a touchdown, and then the quarterback's hurt, and they have to walk him off the field, and you're going like, oh, well, that's going to be it, you know? So it's like it's tied up. One's ahead. The other's ahead. It's moving back and forth. But it gets down to the very end of the game, and A&M has a chance to kick a field goal, and it's what? They do it, and they win. And you know what Wes did? He ran and jumped in his pool. He was so excited (laughs) with all of his clothes on. I hope he took his cell phone out. I don't know. But he was just freaked out, like yelling and jumping. Now, I didn't get to see that game, uh, but I watched the replay of it on Sunday afternoon. I love to watch the YouTube replays, you know, where they don't have the huddle and they don't have any advertisements and it goes really, really fast. But, you know, my response to that game was totally different than Wes. In fact, when there were big setbacks, when, it, when A&M, when they threw that touchdown, uh, when Alabama threw the touchdown and was wide open and it looked like, what's going on here they get ahead they go for two and they make it I was calm I was relaxed you know why because I already knew the outcome of the game right it's a whole different game when you watch the replay compared to the real game and what I want to talk to you about we've been talking about our best gift to Jesus and his gifts to us I want to talk to you about the gift of hope and I was thinking about how worldwide we're making a difference and all, but I, I just felt like God wanted me to narrow it down to us, to us, to have hope. His great gift of hope to us. Because when we become anxious or we lose faith or we get depressed in the middle of a trial, I think it's because we forgot the ending. We forgot how it's all going to end. If you're a believer, how it's going to end. In fact, let me just read uh, some verses from the middle of the passage I want to look at today but it's talking about hope and and Paul says this in Romans 8 24 and 25 he said hope means that we must trust and wait for what is still unseen for why would we need to hope for something we already have so because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment well what is it that we're waiting for. Well, come with me to the book of Revelation, right at the very end, chapters 21 and 22 is when it's wrapping all up. And it says this in Revelation 21, five and six. And he that sat upon the throne, talking about the throne of the universe, it's Jesus Christ said, behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write these words because they're true and faithful 
he also said, it is finished. I don't think that's the first time he said that, is it? Remember on the cross, the last words that he said? He said, tetelestai, it is finished, it is paid in full. A little bit different word this time though, ginomai in the, in the Greek. Ginomai means to become real, to begin to be, to come into being. It's used in the book of Hebrews with another word and it means to overrule. I love that. This past week, I was working on, on a, in an intensive uh, life coach certification from Columbia University in New York City, and they had the most amazing quizzes. I love their quiz because you would take the quiz at the, at the end of each session, and you could repeat it five times. I like that, you know, because one of the quizzes, I got one out of five, right, the first time, and At first I thought, why are they doing it? I mean, this is Columbia University. Why do they do it this way? Because they were more interested in what we were going to learn than trying to test us and see if we could, you know, get that great score on the very first time. And for someone who hadn't been in school in a really long time, that was really helpful, you know? Always on the second time, I would get five out of five. Well, I should, I hope, right? Because it even told you which ones were wrong and all of that. So you could go back and I would memorize all that. But I learned so much from the quizzes because I got to keep going back. God goes on, he says, I'm the alpha and the omega, the A and the Z. I am the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. Have you ever thought about that little phrase, I make all things new, all things new. I believe somehow that God is going to take us back to the very beginning of our lives and let us live it again and show us what it would have been like if he was ruling and reigning on this prodigal planet instead of mankind. I really believe that. And I believe it's gonna shut the mouths of everyone who says, how can God be all powerful and all good? How can he do that? You realize he gave this world to us. You know what the law of entropy is? Entropy is the, the, the second law of thermodynamics for those of you who love science. That's the law that says in any closed system, energy moves from complexity to randomness. The second law tells us that our, our universe is moving from order to disorder, from harmony to disharmony. Even our bodies, same way, 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, the outward part of us is decaying. That doesn't sound, you're decaying right now. That doesn't sound good, does it? You know, just look at your neighbor and say, you're decaying, but I love you anyway, right? But it's interesting, it's so true. As we grow older, have you noticed that people your age are so much older than you? No kidding, right, right? I saw an old friend the other day and he had changed so much he didn't even recognize me. But it's true, and you think about guys, I mean, if you're young, here's what you've got to look forward to, ear hair. That's that's the law of entropy, you know, it just starts, I don't know, you lose it up here and it starts growing out here. And I think it's because your eyesight's also going and you, like a cat, you can feel, you know, they have those whiskers, you feel if you fit through places. I'm not sure, but that's what, that's just my theory. 
back hair. What in the, what? You know, and, and then you have to get someone either to shave your back or you just go for it. You know, he has lovely black hair all the way down his back and they mean that, you know. But nothing lasts forever. In fact, I would say that if any person lives long enough, they're eventually going to encounter circumstances that are difficult to explain theologically. Cancer, divorce, rape, loneliness, infertility, rejection. These and a million other sources of human suffering that trouble the soul. Well, Paul wants to tell us something about how to live in this world of tribulation and suffering, a world that's off kilter, a world that's got entropy because sin entered it and we brought it. Jesus said to mankind, this is your world, you rule, you reign, you have dominion over it, and we're the ones that have messed it up. But he's gonna show us one day what it would have looked like. He's gonna replay your life one day, that abuse that you suffered as a child those relationship things. Some of the stuff even that, that you did to yourself, the, the, the poor decisions that you made that came back to haunt you. Well, let me jump in to Romans 8. We'll start with verse 14. And I just love this passage. You might wanna, I'm reading it to you out of the Passion Translation. I love, there's a couple of new translations that are very, very true to the Greek. Passion and the voice. Either one of those, if you really want to hear it in our English, straight from the Greek New Testament, get the Passion translation or the voice. Now, I think the Passion only has the New Testament and Psalms. The voice has the whole of the Bible, but both of them are good. Verse 14, the mature children of God are those who are moved by the impulses of the Holy Spirit. And you did not receive the spirit of religious duty, leading you back into the fear of never being good enough, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance enfolding you into the family of God and you will never feel orphaned for as he rises up within us our spirits join him in saying the words of tender affection beloved father for the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us as he whispers into our innermost being you are God's beloved child Close your eyes for just a second, right now. The Holy Spirit is here. He's moving in this room. We've been asking him to have full reign in this room right now. Do you hear him? Little son, I see you. I see what you're going through. I see what's happening. You are my beloved child. Little girl, I've seen every tear. I know what's happening right now. Little girl, you are God's. You are my beloved child. Look back up. It's amazing that God would do that for us. Why would he do that? Verse 17, and since we are his true children, we qualify to share all his treasures. For indeed, we are heirs of God himself. And since we are joined to Christ, we also inherit all that he is, all that he has. We will experience being co-glorified with him, provided we accept his sufferings as our own. I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing 
compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled within us. There's a Greek word in there, logisomai, which is a mathematical word. It's an accounting word, and it means to calculate. And what Paul is saying is, I calculate these these. These troubles that we're having now, these trials, these heartaches, these things that seem so huge, I calculate if you put them on a scale compared to what God's going to do, the glory that's going to come from learning through those trials, it's like a grain of sand on the earth side, Mount Everest on the other side. It's not even going to be close. I calculate, look, that if we really understood that, it would change our perspective about everything in this world. The, world un, the word unveiled is apocalypto, and, you know, apocalypse. It means to uncover something hidden. So what is it that's hidden? There's something hidden Paul's talking about here. C.S. Lewis says it's suffering that we don't understand. He says, of course we don't understand suffering. Does a, a key make sense if you've never seen a lock? I think about it this way. If you went down to Lowe's and you, you said, I need a new house key and you've got your old key, you want to make some copies. Is the guy doing you any favor if, if he just takes that key blank, you know, with the straight lines and he just hands it to you? He said, I really don't want this little key to suffer, so I'm just going to give it to you like this. What happens? Oh, there's sparks flying, right? You can smell metal burning. I mean, it's intense. What happens to that little key? But every single bit of that is purposeful, meaningful, strategic, not without a purpose. What is suffering for? It unlocks something that we still don't understand. And we won't understand until that day that he makes it new and shows us that. Verse 18 goes on to say, I'm convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of the glory that is about to be unveiled within us. Glory unveiled, glory unveiled. The word glory means the fulfillment of purpose. The glory of a violin is music. The glory of the sun is warmth and light. The glory of man is what? His purpose what he was created for. The Bible says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has in store, what he's planned for us. He's making us to become something. God is going to show the purpose of the universe on that day by unveiling something, unveiling us, his masterpieces. And it's all gonna make sense. And it's all gonna become new. What if he says, now go back and relive your life. Don't, I want you to keep all that you've learned, but relive it with all that you've learned of me through all of these heartaches and all of these things. And watch how it would have been if I had been in charge. That death wouldn't have happened. That divorce would have never taken place. This is what it would look like. That abuse. C.S. Lewis closed out, he said, the door on which we've been knocking all our lives, longing, trying to figure it out, not understanding, will be open at last. And when it is, all of us who are believers will go, 
oh, I see it. Oh, I get it. And no one's going to say, God, you're not good. No one. No one will be able to say that. Verse 19, let's go on. The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. For against its will, the universe itself has had to endure the empty futility resulting from the consequences of human sin. But now with eager expectation, all creation longs for freedom from its slavery to decay and to experience with us the wonderful freedom coming to God's children. To this day, we are aware of the universal agony and groaning of creation as if it were in the contractions of labor for childbirth because of Adam's sin. What came? Thorns and thistles and tornadoes and tsunamis imbalances of nature all the consequences of man's fall will be set right one day it's directly tied to when we as believers are unveiled it's going to be this amazing day you know when you think about the issues of the world I think it's really well demonstrated in our day this modern sophisticated progressive century that we live in no technology like this has ever existed but all those same persistent problems our libraries are filled with books now by experts written on marriage and how to have a great marriage and yet divorce is more rampant than it's ever been and marriage marriage is the you know lasting is like the exception and not the norm alcoholic research by universities and social welfare agencies uh, has given deep insights into the cause of alcoholism. And yet in America alone, alcoholics increase at a rate of 50 a day or 50 an hour, 1,200 daily, 70% of them women. In an age of psychology and psychiatry and psychoanalysis, our mental health issues are worse than they've ever been. People have longed for peace. We know how to have it. And yet we have more war and more war and more war. We understand disease like we've never understood it. And yet we have a worldwide pandemic that closes down every economy. Verse 23, it's not just creation. We who have already experienced the first fruits of the Spirit also inwardly groan as we passionately long to experience our full status as God's sons and daughters, including our physical bodies being transformed. For this is the hope of our salvation. Are you groaning? I groaned this morning when I got out of bed. I've been back at the gym working out and I realized everything aches, everything hurts. Our lives consist of groans. We groan in disappointment, in heartache, bereavement. We groan as we age. Hope prevents us from clinging to what we have and frees us to move away from whatever this is. Well, this is safe and we know it. It's not, I'm groaning a lot, but an inner unknown and fearful territory, kind of like Chris and Jenny did, to step out and make impact verse 25 so because our hope is set on what is yet to be seen we patiently keep on waiting for its fulfillment and in a similar way 
the Holy Spirit takes hold of us in our human frailty to empower us in our weakness. For example, at times we don't even know how to pray or the best things to pray for, but the Holy Spirit rises up within us to super intercede on our behalf, pleading to God with emotional sighs too deep for words. And God, the searcher of the heart, knows fully our longings. Yet he also understands the desires of the Spirit because the Holy Spirit passionately pleads before God for us, his holy ones, in perfect harmony with God's plan and our destiny. You see, we don't realize how weak we are. Suffering reveals our weakness. It it strips away that mask of self-sufficiency. And it says the Spirit takes hold of our, our, our frailty. What is it? that the Spirit asks for that we wouldn't ask for in our frailty? What is it that we don't know what to pray for? Again, I think the answer is that we would know the secret will of God about suffering. So he super intercedes on our behalf. How does that work? No one knows for sure. It's something between the Spirit and the Father. But I think it might go a little bit like this. You're praying for this job, you haven't had a job in a while, you're praying for it and, and you're saying, God, please give me a job tomorrow and the Holy Spirit comes in and says, Father Joe, he, he's praying for a job for tomorrow but you know what, he is really coming in close to you now that he's realized that he's not got it all together. He's feeling his weakness big time. Would you hold off another couple of weeks for him because I'm working on him. I've got, he's getting right to the, would you pray for that? No, you would never pray for that, would you? And if you do, that would probably be stupid on your part. Let the Holy Spirit do it, okay? God, I pray that you won't give me a job for months. No, don't do that, okay? He knows he's going to work it out, what you're praying. The words of Henry Viscardi bring the truth home in a powerful way. You've heard this. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed I want you just to be encouraged that God's work for you is not limited to what you can figure out and express Holy Spirit if you're a believer lives within you and he's pleading and then we get to the most misquoted misunderstood verse in the Bible it says this Romans 8 28 for so we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his designed purpose. See, folks, I think we have to put an end to this happy ever afterism that people put on this verse. All things work together for good, it says in, in, in other passages, I mean, in other uh, versions. We've got to put an end to that because. People are always saying, no matter what happens, God's going to turn this tragedy into a blessing. That's fine for fairy tales, not for real life. And some of us are really upset with God. I mean, what do you say when a little child 
dies or, or when a cop is killed by a, a, a drug dealer or when a man dies on the mission field or one of your friends dies of age or when a woman is cheated out of her inheritance or when your marriage falls apart after 30 something years. It's hard to see how these things are good. And when we look at these situations, we must avoid trying to resist. We gotta resist the cheap explanation. It's too quick and too easy. That's not a tragedy. It only looks that way. Just have faith. No, that's the wrong answer. That's not what it's saying. I mean, imagine with me that I have an accident and I I wreck my car and then I take it to the body shop and the man says, oh friend, you haven't had an accident. Your car's just been rearranged. Have faith. So I turn and look at the cracked grill and the, the crumpled fender and the twisted bumper and the shattered windshield. And what do I say to him? Buddy, you're crazy. I'm going somewhere else, right? This thing is not rearranged. It's wrecked. See, the Bible never asks us to pretend that tragedy isn't tragedy or that pain isn't real. The point is to see the active involvement of God. See, is Paul saying here, whatever happens is good? No. Is he saying suffering and evil and tragedy are good? No. Is he saying everything's going to just work out really good if you just have enough faith? I know it's a tragedy now, but it'll be a blessing. No, he's not saying that. Is he saying you'll understand pretty soon probably why God allowed this tragedy to come? No. Then what is he saying? What does Paul say? What Paul is doing, he's erecting a sign over the unexplainable sufferings of your life. A sign that reads this. Shh, quiet. God is at work. That's what he's doing. How? I don't know. We're not always sure. To what end? Good and not evil, he says. And and never separate this verse from the ones before it. Because, you know, he talked up there earlier. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to help you say, Father, Father, you're my beloved Father. And he's going to whisper back to you, you're my beloved child. In the dark, when it's scary, a child can be afraid. But when daddy comes and sits on the bed or hugs him up close, I mean, a good daddy. Some of you didn't get that. The fear goes away. And so that's the same thing that happens. See, but the danger is that we're going to judge the end by the beginning. We judge what we see by, you know, what we cannot see by what we see. When tragedy strikes, if we can't see the purpose, we assume there isn't one, but the very opposite is what we should do. We ought to judge the beginning by the end. We know that all things work together for good. And those verses work together. That's the Greek word that we get the word synergy from, synergon. And, and, and what is synergy? It's when you put two or more elements together to form something brand new that neither could form separately. Everything that happens to us as believers, those who are called according to his purpose, the tragedies, the unexplained circumstances, even the stupid choices that you make, they're all grist for the mill of God's loving purpose and he's not going to give up even if we gave up a poet put it like this I walked a mile with pleasure 
She chattered all the way, but I was none the wiser for all she had to say. Then I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the lessons I did learn when sorrow walked with me. He says, Paul says, we are convinced. The other versions, and we know that this works together for good. We don't know it by looking at the events of life. How do we know it? We know it by knowing God. We, we don't know it by studying the pattern of the cloth. We can't understand it, but by knowing the designer of the fabric. See, we don't, we don't know it by listening to the notes of the symphony of our lives, but by knowing the composer of the symphony, of the music. We don't know why babies die or cars wreck or planes crash or families break up or good people die of COVID. We don't know. But we do know this. Shh, quiet. God is at work. I want you just to close your eyes with me. I just want you to know that God is at work. I want you to know that God cares. In the midst of whatever is going on, he says, look to the end, look to the end, look to the end. I'm on the throne of the universe, everything under my feet, and now, I make all things to become new. All things, all things. Did you hear that? All things. Mark, how's he gonna do that? When would he do that? I don't know. When you have eternity, you got some time to work with, right? It's interesting because the Bible seems to indicate that there's gonna be a thousand years on earth before we ever end up in heaven. I don't understand any of that stuff. I, I just tell you, but maybe that's when he's redoing all this or reliving all of this. And he's showing us what it would be like a thousand years on earth. And he said that the, the lion's gonna lay down next to the lamb. The ravenous wolves will eat straw like an ox the way I intended it to be. Not the nature that we see, not the kill or be killed, not the hunt and the dying and the hurt and even all the things that are happening to you right now. Yeah, God didn't make them happen. We made them happen. Maybe not you, but somebody's sin made them happen. We're in a fallen place. He gave us authority. We've messed it up. It's out of kilter. Entropy has entered, moving toward chaos all the time. In the midst of it, just like the A&M game I watched on replay, I know who's going to win. I know what's going to happen. I want you to judge what's happening now by the end, by the ending. And there's something that he's building into you that he says the purpose of the universe is being fulfilled. 
We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to be his sons and daughters forever. He's adopted us into his family. Hear him again. I love you, little girl. I love you. You're mine. I see you. I know how much it hurts right now. I caught every one of your tears before they hit the ground last night. I got you. What do you do, daddy, father? I don't understand. I can't figure it out. But I know you're good. I know you're good. I know there's no easy answers now. Little boy, it's been hard. Feel like you can't go on. I get it. I can see why. I totally get it. This place is a rough place. It's all out of kilter. But little boy, you're mine. You are mine. I've got you right now. And I promise you, I promise you, when you're co-glorified with Christ, you're going to get it. You're going to see it. The purpose is all going to come together in who you are. I didn't waste a single sorrow. I didn't waste a single experience. No, I wish they hadn't happened to you. I didn't want them to. But I built something into you. I made you an overcomer. And I'm not done yet. Yeah, there's going to be some rough times coming. But I'm going to be right here. And every morning when you wake up, I'll be right there to welcome you into that day. I've been waiting for you all night. I've been watching over you, little one. Come, let's live this day together. That's life. That's abundant life. Changes everything. Life is hard. God is good. We know how it's going to turn out. Father, I thank you for each and every one within the sound of my voice right now. A lot of us needed this message today. Some of us need the courage to step out and do things that you've put on our heart like Jenny and Chris. It seemed impossible, but they saw the universe line up behind them. We've seen it here over and over. We've seen it out among the Batwa people of Burundi and the little children that were starving in Nicaragua and those little widows on the streets in Nicaragua that had lost their whole families. We've, we've seen you line up the universe and open up things that we could never do on our own. But we want to be a part of your amazing plan in spite of our hurts, in spite of our difficulties, in spite of our dysfunction that comes from the abuse that we suffered. We believe you. We don't understand the circumstances. We never will on this planet. But we know your heart. If you've never stepped into that, would you just do that right now? That's how you become a believer. I receive Jesus Christ, what you did for me on the cross as you pulled me into your family. You were the first one and you said, I want brothers and sisters all around me that can be co-glorified with me. All of his treasure, that's some treasure right there, is yours. 
don't feel it right now, it's okay. We know what the end is. We can relax a little bit more. We can trust a little bit harder. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you pray for us and you don't let us off the hook. That you're making us into all that you've dreamed that we could be. In fact, all that we've dreamed we could ever be. And I thank you. I thank you for that final day as we anticipate. We can't see it. We have a hope. But that hope is not based in just some vain thing. It's based in your very character, God. The goodness of you. And it will come to pass. Amen.